When's the last time that you watched network television? Been a while, hasn't it? The world's changed. We're digital now. We get our information from Facebook, from Twitter, from online sources. And physicians are the same. Key opinion leaders have also gone digital. I'm Jeff Stewart, your host. This time on the Inventive Health Podcast, we'll be talking medicine in 140 characters. Digital KOLs, next. Today on the Inventive Health Podcast, we're joined by Nick LaPola and Madeline Rounds. Nick is in the Newtown, Pennsylvania office, and Madeline Rounds is in London. Joining us over the phone from London, welcome Nick and Madeline. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. What do you guys each do? I'm a manager on the quantitative market research team, and I've been working in the KOL thought leadership identification sphere for over a decade now. I'm Madeline Rounds. I'm a digital consultant, and I've personally been involved in multiple digital influencer mappings over the past few years. And these have spanned the U.S., European, and Asian markets, and include therapy areas such as oncology and movement disorders, just to name a few. So we're talking today about KOL identification. What is a KOL? What does it even mean? KOLs are thought leaders are just recognized influencers inside a specific category. So these recognized influencers can either be called KOLs, thought leaders, um, external experts. There's a bunch of different names. But the general concept here is that these are traditionally physicians or at least healthcare providers who have influence over their peers inside of a given market. They're traditionally have a high degree of knowledge and are known by most of the individuals inside of that market. More and more, as we move into the digital age, there's also an aspect to this where not only are these the traditional physicians, but individuals who are producing content online. And more and more, that's become a specific addition to our research projects. These are typically individuals who are present on social media, but also other key websites relating to a particular topic online, and they frequently create content that is relevant and of high quality, so through sharing their opinions, whether that be on data or clinical cases via tweets, uh, they can contribute CME videos, that's continued medical education, they author articles, and this is all readily consumed by peers and online communities with the effect of potentially impacting their decision-making. What is different about digital that means that KOL mapping or finding these people or talking to these people is any different? How do we know that they're actually key opinion leaders and not just bloggers? Traditional channels of influence include publications, trials, Congress activities. Whereas if you take all of those offline activities and just remove them out of the picture, we're considering online. The digital landscape looks very different. We're talking about what are the different platforms? You've got social media, but then specialists will have their own websites that they go to for information um, just to know where they go. On these sites, their key digital touch points are their influencers putting out their opinions, owning and driving those conversations. It's important to know who these people are. And often these guys are across platforms. They have this holistic sort of omnipresent digital footprint. So they're everywhere online. Through that, they're exerting an influence across sort of the wider community. Nick and Madeline, to the extent you know, what are the places to be now online? If you are a key opinion leader and you're a digital key opinion leader, where are you talking? Is it Facebook? 
Across specialties, again, there are different platform preferences, but typically a thought leader will be present on social media. Around key congresses, nowadays, congresses are often pushing the use of their own hashtag, which allows people who can't physically attend the conference to still see what's happening and get involved in conversations with those who are attending online. And just generally, it, it helps to um, sort of continue the conversation outside of the Congress setting. So they're on social media, Twitter. Um, Facebook is not really the platform for healthcare professionals to discuss um, clinical cases, but for that purpose, we have sites like Sermo and Doximity, for example. These are two sites that have gained in popularity quite immensely over the past, I'd say, year or so. 140 characters and describing what's happening in CME, continuing med- medical education. I don't get how those things work together. How does Twitter, but how does that work for the KOL? You usually use each platform for a specific purpose. So Twitter, you're sort of highlighting a piece of data that you enjoyed or you're sharing a resource. So it's more sort of call to action, click here, or um, you know, a really quick and short thought. Another way to uh, access sort of thought leadership content is to visit a society website or you have other specialty dedicated websites which host video content or webinar content or perhaps they stream the the conference content live online as well. Um, And in these instances, you can sort of have more comprehensive CME uh, content that can be accessed. And you mentioned two websites that I hadn't heard before, but you said that in the last year they've become extremely important for for digital key opinion leaders. What are, what are those websites, and what do they do that's different from what those of us who aren't on these websites might want to know? <laughs> well, these are actually closed platforms, so only healthcare professionals can sign up and access and sort of navigate around them. Um, which is important because from a healthcare professional perspective, they kind of like that anonymity so that they can freely discuss clinical cases, get sort of second opinions from each other. So that's the primary purpose of sites like Sermo and Doximity. They're just completely dedicated healthcare professional closed network. You can think of it as sort of a Facebook for doctors. It's almost like you have this secret senate going on, and if you knew who was talking and speaking at the secret senate, you would now know who you need to influence or whose influence matters. Is that, am I understanding it correctly, that these two sites in particular? Um, I wouldn't say it. On these two sites, you can select to be anonymous, and in which case it's the nature of the content and what they're saying about sort of prescribing behavior. Um, that is key to our clients to understand. But on sites uh, that are open, such as social media, Twitter, um, and LinkedIn and so forth, then we can understand who are the actual individuals who are sort of leading those discussions. Now that we've gotten kind of an idea of what the space looks like, there is this online world and we have digital KOLs. How do we reach out and find the right KOL for any particular business purpose that's out there? In order to identify a KOL, you first need to get the opinions of their peers and from our opinion. What we try to do is ask doctors who matter to our clients, either on a target list, what physicians we should go after. Once we get their opinions, we can ask them directly, well, what best role would these individuals be suited for? So to Maddie's point, we might find individuals that produce a lot of content online, but may not be high publishers. Therefore, the stream of influence that they would have is more of a digital scope. We might find individuals who publish a lot, 
but don't have the best speaking skills, so they're better suited for more journal articles. And then we find those individuals who are wonderful in front of uh, large crowds, and they're the type of individual that you want to put inside of, inside of speaking engagement. In order to identify these individuals, we try to get as much information from different points of view, called a 360-degree view, and build that holistic map of a disease state to say these are the, let's say, 100 physicians that we've identified as thought leaders. And of these thought leaders, these individuals will be best for this type of engagement, and these individuals will be best for these type of engagements. That's the second layer that we try to bring in through all these additional data points that we collate together in our reports. What's harder now about trying to find and map KOLs, or is it much easier than it used to be? I think the resources available make it easier to find an individual once they are noted by someone. But at the same time, the, it's a vast ocean of information. So it takes a discerning eye to know what information is valuable and what information can we put off to the side. On social and digital, there's so much content to be sorted through that it, it's, it, it's necessary that there is a human eye at all times at the highest level. So we do have our programs that work and grab this information from us. So from, from my standpoint, we have our survey tools. From Maddie's standpoint, we have web crawlers and then specific uh, programs that look for in, inside social and digital. But then it, you need to have that human eye on it. There are all kinds of different tools that all rely heavily on automated algorithms. For example, particularly with social analytics tools, they're only solely looking at social media. But we know that Healthcare professionals are not just using social media, they're looking um, at other sort of areas online. So for CME, they're going on societies, uh, websites, patient websites, and these tools don't consider sort of the full spectrum that they should. I think that any single given methodology is going to have some gap. So if yep. we were just use peer-to-peer, as we did a decade ago, and just a static survey, come back, who are the folks? Well, then you're going to miss aspects about the, the next level. So of these individuals, how are they best suited? If we just use more of a publication approach, which is a perfectly valid way to go about it for a, a cheaper methodology that's much faster. But just because you're published doesn't necessarily mean that there were eyes on those publications. And there's a vast difference between publications. If someone's publishing in the New England Journal of Medicine, that has much more weight than some of those second or third tier publications. Again, we could use um, analogs. We could go and pull from our syndicated audits uh, a, a similar product launch and say, oh, okay, here's how it worked here. Here's how it might work there. But all these things are assumptions. What we try to do is get as close to that accurate truth as possible by bringing in as many different methodologies. So we bring in the peer-to-peer, -peer, we bring in that secondary data that we append, and we bring in the digital aspect so that you can have a full and clear view about how things are working in your market and then make a decision about how best to promote your brand or how best to get clinical data out there from, a, from more of a, a medical standpoint. What do people do wrong in terms of going out to get KOLs, identifying KOLs, or engaging with them? What do, what do you see when people are doing it the wrong way? First and foremost, the biggest mistake that, that I've seen made is they wait too long. As anyone can understand, launching a product, which is traditionally when this type of research happens, it can happen a lot of times throughout a product lifecycle, but traditionally the, the majority of this happens at, at the beginning of your launch. And everything is so busy and you're caught up with so many different things that are going on that at some points it's, it's, it's an afterthought. 
But the truth of the matter is that the, your KOL engagement, your thought leadership identification, those need to be those key cornerstone aspects of, of your marketing engagement plan or your medical engagement plan because it's so important to everything else. Finding out who those people are are extraordinarily important. And if you wait until you're already on market, you don't really have that second chance to make a first impression. Whether it's from your reps walking into the most important people and not wasting resources on individuals who can't move the needle, or having those MSLs be able to, you can actually transition thought leaders into MSLs inside a, a pharma team and have them go out and disseminate information regarding the clinical benefits of a given product. And MSL is a medical science liaison? Correct. Um, from a digital standpoint, um, we work with clients to execute digital initiatives. And the major, I, I would say, a, a common occurrence is to align a traditional influencer to a digital initiative. So it's this misalignment of influencer um, to channel. Uh, you really want to work with a digital thought leader or align them to a digital initiative because then you can reap the benefits from tapping into their online existing online networks. It just makes sense. So it's just encouraging our clients to understand who to match to each of the different initiatives. Madeline, if I'm a person in a pharma company and I've done KOL mapping for years and years, but this is my first time with digital, what mistakes are am I likely to make because this is digital? I've never done digital before. I don't know digital KOL mapping. First and foremostly, it will be the types of tools that you're using. Um, so we use social listening and social mapping tools. And there are many different types that you can access. And they all vary very slightly, but it would be getting your head around how to use them effectively. So just as an example for a social listening tool, this is where you're crawling the conversations online and you're obviously hoping to hone in on those healthcare professionals that are your target stakeholder. You need to understand um, the nuances in how they talk online. So that lexicon is different than offline. Um, you need to know uh, which platforms to look on um, and it's these sorts of things. It's very different by nature uh, in comparison to traditional. Is there something that you just want to tell us about a story that's happened to you, maybe something recently with a client that would be something that you'd want other people to know about? That if, you, if you're a client out there and you are working in a pharma company, this story matters to you. What's that story? Well, actually... Uh, Madeline and I just worked on a project for a large pharma company, and it, it kind of shows the example of what to do right when you have a KOL identification project. Um, we identified thought leaders for this client um, very specifically at a community level because their goal was to try and build a ground-up grassroots information flow instead of a trickle-down. And once we were able to identify both from a, a traditional sphere of peer-to-peer and augmented and appended with those, those digital influencers. We now have our list. What I find a lot of times is the next step is where some companies are lacking. And this is where this company did a wonderful job of engaging with other inventive companies to build out the public relations engagement scheme, how they're going to deal with staffing, reps, and MSLs, and then what kind of content they're going to create with whom. So the idea being, now that we have these individuals identified, 
who would be best set for what roles, and who do we want to tag for doing our digital outreach? Who do we want to tag for doing our publication outreach, our speaking engagement? And with, with the use of all the other companies inside of Inventive in this lab-to-life philosophy we have at the corporation, they were able to engage and have the next step so that not just were we able to identify these folks, but we were able to then go out into market and have them uh, build a successful launch by using the information instead of just having it kind of sit on the shelf and, and collect dust. Yes, we have sort of seasoned experts, those traditional thought leaders that we all are very familiar with. But beyond those guys, we have this like realm of rising stars. Uh, these guys that are digital natives, they're online, they have an opinion, and they're proactively putting it out there, and they're influential in their own right. So with regards to sort of planning out an initiative, you want to get a good mix of, you know, these seasoned experts, but also rising stars and like those with uh, digital presence so that you can capitalize on sort of this online influence that some of the guys have, but also you have that traditional influence that also transcends online. It's just about maximizing uh, the value of the faculty that you might put together for a particular initiative. I feel like that's not often done as, as best as it could be. And to build on Madeline's point, there's a, an aspect where these two dovetail together. So your perfect example would be a KOL who's identified <laughs> at a center of excellence, let's say um, MD Anderson in the cancer space. They're uh, of the, an older age, so they're less uh, digital savvy, but they have a, a member in, in their uh, department working with them who is a younger, junior clinician who is more digital savvy. What we can do is find that individual as an up-and-comer, build off the halo effect of the top KOL noted for their research or clinical publications at a center of excellence of importance and use that to get this individual more view inside of a digital sphere. So it's, 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 again, triangulating between different points and saying that though this might be a junior member that nobody knows of yet, they work with a very important KOL at a very important uh, center of excellence. So let's make them a thought leader by having them produce more content. And we have resources inside the organization that can help that happen. There are a couple ways that one could think about KOLs and how the market looks like. We could think about it as being previously... There were three networks, like Network News, and now there are blogs everywhere. And the Network News, their particular influence has gone down. A particular anchor man or anchor woman, that, that opinion matters less because there are so many other opinions. Another way to look about it, at it, though, is also to say that those that have the most uh, sway and have the most opinion, um, they are the key opinion leaders, they have an opinion that only matters to a very, very narrow slice of the market. Just talk to me about how broadly key opinion leaders now have as a voice or how narrowly they have a voice. And really, is it how has the world changed? Well, it's an interesting question, and it's more a disease state question than it is an overreaching question. So to try and build this out, if you have more of the traditional, let's say, HR negative breast cancer. You're going to have a very small segment of individuals who are in that specific area. This Herceptin, HER2 negative breast cancer? Exactly. So the, the, the concept okay. being that there, we're, we're in a smaller, uh, a smaller community where you have fewer individuals and one KOL might have much more sway over the market. 
in other disease states, let's say, for example, hypertension, you might have a larger sphere of influence, in which cases there, there might be some patient advocates out there putting information out on social media that is important to you of how they've lived their life, how they've, um, through exercise and diet, have improved their condition. So it, it's a question that, first and foremost, you need to know where your market sits. Are you in that chronic myeloid leukemia section of the market where three thought leaders can control the entire conversation? Or in you, that peripheral arterial heart disease market where there's very few thought leaders at the moment and it's very heavy with PCPs that are, and you need to, to build a, a brand loyal thought leader advocate. So knowing where your market stands is important to getting to where you need to go. It's harder to get in with one of those three top thought leaders if you're in that chronic myeloid leukemia market, and probably your competition has already been engaged with them. On the other side, when there's a, a diffuse market where more PCPs are involved, it's more important to build a KOL than to actually identify one. I have a slightly different answer to the same question. So we have these traditional channels that we typically perceive to be the most influential. So the guys that are top publishers and the, the ones that are involved in the key trials and also who are heavily involved in the Congress sort of talking circuit. These channels to this day remain the most influential to healthcare professionals. And that, that comes across through the surveys that we continually put out with each mapping project that we do. They're always citing these remain influential. And when we throw digital into the mix, this is another channel through which they can be uh, exposed to different opinions. And again, they can be influenced by a variety of different stakeholders. And because so many more people are online and absolutely anyone can get involved in the conversation. So you've got patients, you've got organizations, as well as the healthcare professionals, you could potentially think um, that this might be diluting the influence. But uh, again, in the surveys, the same stakeholders are saying that those healthcare professionals that are online, that are putting out their opinions, are also influential to their clinical decision making. So it's not that the sort of mix or the, the balance of influence is changing. I, I think those traditional means by which um, we see influencer activity, they, they are still valid. Digital is just sort of another avenue in which they can get more, more information to form an even more informed response. One final question, Nick and Madeline, for both of you. What do you think is going to happen in the near future, the next five years? How is digital and KOL mapping, how is that going to change? I think it's going to become more specific. I think with the advent of all these additional data points, for a specific example, the Sunshine Act data that's now available, you'll be able to have a more granular view of not just who is a KOL or a thought leader, mm -hmm. but why and in what specific sphere. And I think, assuredly, Madeline will have more work in the future because mm -hmm. social and digital is continually growing and becoming a larger part mm -hmm. of this entire 360-degree view. Sunshine Act, just want to step in there quickly. That's giving us a lot more data into which KOLs are being engaged by others. Is that what we get out of Sunshine Act, that we know that they're getting paid? Yes. Are they receiving funding from pharma? The second question that can be answered is who are they receiving that money from? So if we're a small pharma company and we're looking to get our message out, 
if, if they're only receiving money from the large players, it might be difficult for us to penetrate and it might be better suited to choose another individual. Thanks very much, Nick. Uh, and then Madeline, uh, what do you see as the future next five years for digital KOL mapping? So um, just looking at trends of usage, we believe that these will continue to rise. Um, but in terms of platform preference, this is very changeable. So it's about keeping ahead of sort of popular trends, what platforms are being used by who, because this can change on a monthly, uh, potentially even shorter timeline basis. Um, in the same way, digital thought leaders c come and go. It purely depends on how proactive an individual is. So it's, it's always about keeping your finger on the pulse. Nick and Madeline, Nick Lapola, Madeline Rounds, thank you so much for joining me on the Inventive Health Podcast. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. I'm Jeff Stewart from Inventive Health Consulting. Thanks for listening to the Inventive Health Podcast. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk through a challenging issue that you have at your pharmaceutical company, you may email me at podcast at inventivehealth.com. We're consultants. That's what we do. You can think of it as sort of a Facebook for doctors. <laughs>